Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition, and we've got a very special show for you today. I'm coming to you live from Dallas, Texas, from the Secrets of Successful Syndication. This two-day conference is a conference like no other. If you're serious about investing in real estate and you're serious about growing your wealth, you definitely want to make it to the next one coming up in March of next year. Enjoy this talk from the Secrets of Successful Syndication. Thank you, Robert. Welcome. My job is to make sure that I keep you awake before the insulin crash happens. I got my start in raising capital in the tech industry. I'm an electrical engineer by training and had some of the most fun in my life designing microprocessors. I've got microprocessors in the seatback displays on most Airbus aircraft. About 52% of the phone calls in North America were processed by a processor that I designed for about a decade. So incredible time in my career. And about 2009-2010, we were building a new cellular network in Japan. I was traveling back and forth to Tokyo every two weeks. That's 13-hour flight, 12 hours of time zone. It was burning me out physically, emotionally, and it was time to take a left turn in my career. I almost took another role as a VP of engineering for a, a Korean company uh, doing vision systems for automotive. And then I realized, wait a minute, same movie, same ending, different actors. So decided at that point to move into the world of real estate investing. But what I recognized in the, t in the tech industry, because I raised a lot of money, is that I knew how to raise money. And sometimes it was easy and sometimes it was hard. When I moved into the world of real estate investing, discovered that there was a process. And I had to relearn it. And when I relearned the process, I said, wait a minute, this is exactly the same as it was in the tech industry. Same movie, same ending, different actors. So I wrote the book Magnetic Capital. It was really in response to that. I discovered that when it was easy, there were a certain set of ingredients that when they were in play, raising money was easy. And when one or more of those ingredients were missing, it became extraordinarily difficult. And that's what I'm gonna talk about today. Robert uh, mentioned I'm the host of the Real Estate Espresso podcast. This is a daily show, seven days a week. That's right, seven days a week, rain or shine. And why would I have the audacity to come up here and promote the podcast? I don't compete at all with any other show. L little fun fact, people who listen to podcasts, about 75 million podcast listeners in North America, they on average subscribe to six and listen to five because that's all they have time for. So I recognized when I launched the show that if, I, if you were gonna listen to my show, we needed to kick off one of the six shows that you currently subscribe to. Who was I gonna kick out? I'm gonna kick out the real estate guys? No. Am I gonna eliminate Oprah? No. So it was to design a show that filled a gap in the marketplace. So be happy to have you as a, as a listener and you decide for yourself if it fills the gap for you. Tony Robbins says, if it's not working, raise your standards. I want you to think about that. Anything that's not working in your life, if it's not working, the solution can be found in raising your standards. And actually that's why you're here this weekend, today and tomorrow, is to go through that transformation. Because whatever you're doing, maybe you're doing it as an amateur and you want to get to a professional level. That's raising your standards. So who are you? Who do you want to be? Do you want to go from being a house flipper to a developer, from a broker to a principal, maybe from a JV partner to a syndicator, maybe a project manager to a fund manager? These are all transformations. And you're here to transform. And hopefully, these next few minutes we'll spend together will show you a pathway for you to transform, if not your thinking, 
your actions. I've discovered there's a couple of things you gotta to adhere to. Number one, there's some rules. You gotta do it according to what Mauricio outlined before lunch. You gotta meet the five principles that I've outlined in the book Magnetic Capital. And then number three, you've gotta get out of the spectator stands and onto the field. I've also discovered that in order to accomplish anything in life, you need three things. And you're here in a weekend seminar and you're getting a ton of knowledge. And that's essential. Now, oftentimes the reaction is to say, well, I'm, don't, I'm not quite there, so I need to take one more course. I need to read one more book. And I would submit to you that that's probably not the case because having the knowledge is important, but it's not enough. You need three things. Number two, the second thing you need is you need the emotional drive. And connected with that, you need to eliminate whatever emotional obstacles are getting in the way of you accomplishing whatever it is that you want to do. And number three, and this is the most important and the most overlooked, is you need to be in the right environment. It's not enough to have one out of three or two out of three, you need all three. So congratulations, you're in the right environment. When I come here, I'm here amongst my friends. If I go to Starbucks, I'm the weirdo, I don't fit, because I'm not amongst my tribe. When you hang out with the right people, amazing things happen. You get ideas, you get interchange of, of, of opportunities, you get introductions, you get access to capital, you get uh, advice, you get all these different things that you don't get if you're in the wrong environment. Simple example, this is my refrigerator at home, works great, and question is, how is that refrigerator an important part of my environment? If my goal is to, let's say, lose 15 pounds, by the way, I did lose 15 pounds this summer without even trying, it's true. <laughs> if, it's not that I didn't know what to eat. It's not that I didn't know what exercises to do. But if I had the wrong things in my fridge, it wouldn't work. So by creating that right environment, it's what, that's what allowed it to happen. And it was effortless. I mean, seriously, it was effortless. And that's the power of being in the right environment. I didn't need any more knowledge. I knew exactly what to do. And it's not that I wasn't driven to do it. Again, I wasn't trying per se. It just happened by being in the right environment. And if you do that, no matter what it is you want to do in life, if you get in the right environment, it will have the transformation. So I moved out of the microprocessor industry today. We're primarily building new apartment buildings, some multifamily, some office. That's what I do. Like you, I started having not done this before. My very first investment was this one bedroom apartment in downtown Ottawa. Now I took a bit of a different approach. Didn't take a real estate approach, I took a business approach. When I, when I think of business, I think about what problem am I solving? Now I live in Ottawa, Canada, the nation's capital. We have a flow of parliamentary staff, embassy staff, military officers that come into the marketplace on a medium term basis. At the time, Airbnb did not exist. They get a monthly housing allowance and that housing allowance will not cover 3500 a month at, at a suite hotel. But I found out what that number was, and I said, if I can deliver a product at that number, I will always be full. So I went out and bought one-bedroom condos, literally within walking distance of Parliament, and I was always full because I delivered a product for that specific market. I was solving a very specific problem. Was it a real estate play? Yeah, kind of. But it was actually a business play solving a business problem. And I want you to think about Whatever you do as solving a real business problem, it's not real estate, it really isn't, even though that may be the vehicle. My current project 
is a 240-unit uh, new build. And I did not go from the, that one-bedroom condo to a 240-unit new construction in one step. There were a whole bunch of steps along the way. But I want you to know that I started just like you. It might have been that little, you know, 1,000-square-foot house from the 1950s that you bought as your first investment. It doesn't matter. We all started in the same place. So let's talk about how to raise money. I discovered along the way that you need five things to raise money. Number one, you need relationship. Number two, you need trust. Number three, you need a track record. Number four, you need a compelling opportunity. And number five, you need alignment. I'm going to go through all, three of the, all five of these in more detail. So it starts with relationship. Now you're at an event here. You may have a pocket full of business cards. Your goal is not to network. Networking is a utilitarian thing. And nobody wants to be used. Put up your hand if you want to be used. OK, good. Nobody wants to be used. And in particular, if you're dealing with people that are very high net worth, they are constantly being approached by people who want a relationship with them for one reason and one reason only, and that's because they have money. So their guard is up way more than the average person because they don't want to be used any more than you do. The basis of the relationship has to be genuine relationship. It's not to collect as many business cards or, you know, I get approached sometimes for someone to friend me on Facebook, and then I'll accept. And the next thing, would you come like my business page? Why do they want that? They wanted to use me for a like on their business page. They didn't want a relationship with me. I don't want to be used. Unfriend. Seriously. I mean, think about it. If, if you're not getting this, think about it in the context of a normal romantic relationship. Two people, they eye each other from across the room, look around, you might see someone. And maybe you go out, have dinner, go see a show, develop some common interests, and a long, long way down the road, many, many steps along the way, you may decide to get together, start a family, get married. But if you skip even one step in that natural progression, you go from a natural relationship progression to creepy in a heartbeat. <laughs> right? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? So don't go to creepy. Don't go to creepy. And yet how often in the business world, do we encounter people that go to creepy? It's not OK. It's not OK. So what is the basis of the relationship? You're not going to get capital out of every relationship. And if all you do when you see a relationship is you see dollar signs on that person's forehead, you're using people. Don't do it. It starts with genuine relationship. I think I've hammered that point. <laughs> Next is trust. Now, trust is not just are you dealing with an honest person. It's a psychological contract with a lot of layers to it. First of all, you have to have alignment of intention. If you're not aiming in the same direction, it's going to be very difficult to establish that trust. But assuming you're aiming the right way, it's a whole series of questions like, can I trust you to put together a good plan? Can I trust you to execute the plan? Can I trust you to communicate in an open and transparent way? Can I trust you with my money? Can I trust you to communicate when there's a problem? And on and on and on and on. And if any one of those is missing, it chips away at the trust. It doesn't work. This is not something to master in the sense of, well, I'm going to manipulate people into trusting me. That's not it. It's establishing those fundamentals so that the trust gets built over time. So people trust you with small commitments. The next one is closely connected with trust. What's your track record? Show me you know how to be successful. 
show me you know how to make money. How many projects have you done? If you've lost money, how did you handle it? Did, what did you do to try and make it right? Now you might be asking, well, wait a minute. I don't have a track record. How can I raise any money if I don't have a track record? How can I get a track record if I can't raise any money? It's a circular argument, I'm stuck. Well, you might be, but I would argue that business is actually a team sport. It's not a solo sport. And people don't invest in the self-employed. They invest in businesses, which by definition are a team sport. So if you don't have that track record, if you don't have that credibility, go align yourself with someone who does, join their team, make them part of your team, go work for them for a period of time. It doesn't have to be a decade. Could be a six months, a year, a couple years. So now you've developed that credibility. You can borrow some of the, that credibility because you've earned it. Very simple example. My partner on this 240 unit project, a guy named Bob Keener, he's built 8,000 units in his career. I feel perfectly competent. I have an engineering background. I'm a smart dude. I know how to raise money, blah, blah, blah. I feel perfectly competent to go run that project. But when I go in front of a lender and ask them for $30 million of non-recourse debt, they look at me and say, Victor, you don't have enough experience. And if I was them, I would agree. I bring my partner Bob in tow. He's built 8,000 units of multifamily, never lost any money. And that shuts down that conversation right away. It doesn't even come up anymore. So bring someone into your team who has that credibility. Next, you've got to have a compelling opportunity. And this is where most people start. It's always about the deal. I've got a deal. You got a deal? I got a deal. It's never about the deal. This is, and I put this forth intentionally because it never starts with this, although in a lot of people's minds it does. So what is it that makes an opportunity compelling? It's a little bit like asking, what is your definition of beauty? You see a magazine cover, is that beautiful? Well, it's a little bit in the eye of the beholder. For some people, it's a medical office building at an 8% cap rate. For some people, it might be industrial space. For someone else, it might be a, uh, a mobile home park at a 15% cap rate at 60% occupancy. Your definition of beauty is gonna vary from one person to the next. Is the project easy to understand? If it's too complicated to explain, it's gonna be very difficult to get people excited about it. And oftentimes I see people saying, you know, I had such a great deal, but I couldn't get it funded. And there's often a clue in that because in my estimation, unless you're looking in the wrong place for the money, all good deals get funded and they get funded quickly. And if you are having a hard time raising money, maybe you're missing one of these elements or you're looking in the wrong place for the money. And I say this with a tremendous amount of humility because I've made, this mis I've made these mistakes. I've, I've gotten to this point by having made these mistakes. And sometimes I repeat the mistakes. My goodness, it's humbling. I've, this year, I've actually struggled to raise money on some projects because I've made some of the mistakes in my own damn book. Seriously. So here are some of the strategies that we use that I think you might find interesting or engaging. The first is a strategy that we call buy on the line, move the line. So what is that line? Wherever you live, every city in America has this line. On one side of the line, it's a gentrified neighborhood. You've got coffee shops. You can walk to the art gallery. There's people walking their dog on to get their dog's hairdo done. And then you go two blocks too far in the other direction and you're in the hood. Wherever you live, I'm sure you can imagine that line. Now what you do is you buy just on the wrong side of that line. Now, that line has to be an arbitrary line. If it's a freeway or a railway track 
or a municipal boundary that is not movable, it's going to be difficult to move that line. But if the line is arbitrary, you can move that line. So you go by on the wrong side of the line for pennies on the dollar, redevelop on the wrong side of the line, and now where are you going to get the valuation? There are no comps in the hood. You could make a rap song of that, no comps in the hood. <laughs> there are no comps in the hood. You're going to get comps from, <laughs> from the great neighborhood next door. So this particular line is actually in Philadelphia. To the south, in the center of that square, there's Girard College. It's a, a, a boarding school. To the south is the Fairmount District, where townhouses go for about 650000 North of the line, you're in the hood. Now, we bought about 85 properties over the last several years, all within about a five-block radius. Now, if you do one or two, nobody cares, nobody notices. It's not enough. But you put a little bit of scale behind it. You do five, you do 10, you do 20. And people say, oh, I get it. The line has moved. So what does that look like? This is one example. This is an 11-unit building. It's, a, it's actually an old picture at this point. It's a construction photo. And in Philadelphia, there's a shortage of parking. It's all, mostly all street parking. Getting a curb cut approved, meaning to actually have a driveway, is a real process. We got a cur curb cut approved, and we have a parking garage on the ground. So it's surface structured parking, and we elevated the building up onto the second, third, and fourth floor. So not only are we delivering new product, we're delivering product that's differentiated in the market because we have parking and nobody else does. So if there's ever to be vacancy in the marketplace, it'll go everywhere else. We will never have vacancy because we have parking. It's going to take decades for there to be enough parking in Philadelphia, unless we go to some other form of transportation. So these are the interior finishes. Um, you know, it's good quality B-class product. We're not aiming to be A-class. We certainly don't want to be in C-class housing because the rents are far too low. And we're buying on the wrong side of the line, redeveloping, and we're getting pretty strong valuations. This is a view of the downtown skyline from the rooftop deck. Our goal always, every project, I don't care whether we're talking about a 10-unit building or 200, our goal is always to have an interim exit. And what I mean by that is I want to be able to refinance the project when it's completed, leased up and stabilized, somewhere between 70 to 75% loan to value, pull out all of the equity, give that money back to the investors, and now we're sitting on the proverbial no money down deal. Asymmetric risk, all the investors have their capital back, we're sitting on a 25 to 30% equity ratio, which is reasonably safe, and nobody has any cash tied up in the deal except for the bank. Pretty good. But if you don't aim for that, you're not going to hit it. You have to aim for that as your goal. So if I have a million dollar valuation, my cap on investment has to be 700,000. If I'm looking for a two million valuation on the end product, my investment is capped at a million four. And if I can't achieve that, don't invest. That has to be the target. Anything less than that, we consider it to be failure. I don't want money tied up in a deal long term. I want to be able to get to infinite return. Now that's a pretty saleable story. You can go to an investor and you can show them building after building after building. And I can, you know, I'll show you a couple of examples here. I don't have time to show you, you know, if I show you one, it's a fluke. If it's two, it's a lucky streak. If it's a dozen, there's a system. Now we don't have time to show you a dozen, so I'll show you a couple. So this is a nine unit building. We actually built it as three triplexes side by side. It's a commercial product. So it is a blanket mortgage across all three triplexes, nine units. 
same as a nine-unit building. Our total investment was at 1.42 million. Uh, we bought the land reasonably cheap for 130,000, and we got an appraised value of 1.97 million. The refi very straightforward. We managed to get a, you know 72 percent, so we we're able to refi at 75 percent loan to value without any difficulty. This is another one a couple of blocks away. This is 20, 20, uh, 2035 North College Avenue. Again, this was a little bit more expensive. You know, we, uh, the land was a little cheaper, but we built it after our construction cost was a little bit higher. The rents were higher because it had better views of the downtown skyline. Our total investment, 1.62 million, and uh, it appraised at 2.25 million. We got the cash out refi on that on December 28th of last year. There's a formula. Doesn't matter whether we're doing 10 units or 200, always doing it the same way. The math is the same. The next thing I want you to pay very close attention to is one of the fundamental laws. And this is a law that you cannot break. Some people can break the law and get away with it. You cannot break this law and get away with it. And that's the law of supply and demand. And all too often I see people do this all the time. They try and it fails. So I'm gonna give you an example of a market that is a great market. I know there's a few of you here in the room from Seattle, apologies. Seattle is a great market from an employment standpoint. There's a lot of growth, there's some great jobs. I mean, Amazon is there, you've got Starbucks, Boeing, Expedia is moving their headquarters from Redmond into a building on the downtown waterfront. Apple just opened an artificial intelligence research lab in Seattle. Great market. They absorbed about 8,000, I think 8,400 units of new product last year in the downtown core. Pretty good so far. Oh, wait a minute. There's 25,000 units of new product vacant in the marketplace. How do you feel now? Oh, and there's another 33,000 units at the permit stage. How many years is it going to take to absorb that new product? There's way, way, way oversupplied right now in some segments. So a lot of times I see people look at the demand side, but they don't necessarily look at the supply side. I want to be in a market where there's an excess demand and a shortage of supply. I always want those conditions. Today, we are invested in a market. Put up your hand if you've ever been to Banff, Alberta. A few of you? It's Canada's version of Aspen. Beautiful place, it's in the Rocky Mountains. It's inside the boundary of the National Park. Because of that, there's a moratorium on development. Hotel rooms in Banff in the summer months are averaging 600 a night. There's a mismatch between demand and supply. I want those conditions, I want those conditions to persist for a long, long, long time. So a year ago, we started buying in that marketplace, thinking that you know we'll be 15 minutes outside of Banff, we'll get 450 a night, and we'll be happy with that. Well, we first com completed our first year of operation. We've been averaging $747 a night during the summer months. On Airbnb, you don't get that. Like, where do you get that? So again, supply and demand. Now, a lot of people like to invest within a radius of their house. And if you can get that within a radius of your house, perfect. But if it's more than a 10 minute drive, I can go anywhere. Why would I, why would I restrict myself and just go for something that's good? I wanna go for something that's outstanding. So today, there's another market that we're invested in. It's not a household name. This is a town called Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's about two and a half hours east of Houston along the Gulf Coast. The reason this community exists is because of a, net, a network of natural gas pipelines. It's at the epicenter of this network of pipelines. And there is today, over the next decade, 118 billion, and this is not an exaggeration at all, 118 billion dollars 
of natural gas petrochemical and seaport expansions going on in this town of 200,000 people. They need everything. They need retail, they need housing, they need workforce housing, they need RV parks, they need office, they need senior housing. So no surprise, we're building a bunch of different projects. This is the G2 facility, this is a 1,200 acre liquefied natural gas plant that's under construction. 7,000 construction workers on this site. Prime Minister Modi from India was in Houston on the weekend presiding over the signature of a $7.5 billion investment into the Driftwood facility where they will take 5.5 million metric tons of liquefied natural gas over the next 20 years once it's completed. To put this in perspective, 5.5 million metric tons is about a quarter of today's output of the United States in natural gas, period. These are big numbers. This is why we're here. This is the Phillips facility. I mean, you can't even get the whole thing in the, in the aerial photograph. Now, not every community embraces heavy industry like this, but Lake Charles has, and they need housing. So, we're uh, building right now three projects. Uh, this is an apartment complex. That's the site itself, a 26-acre site. Um, we also have a site that's now approved for a medical office building. That's the picture on the top. And the picture on the bottom is a 128-bed, of which we're building the first 80 beds right now, senior-assisted living campus. Uh, my partner, Lo Hornbuckle, is somewhere in the room here. There he is. Um, outstanding operator. And forming these relationships with great partners is essential to building successful business. So this is what we're doing, for example, in Lake Charles. Now, last item. Getting money for investment is like a pair of shoes. Now, you might be going to the mall, you might have come across the most beautiful pair of shoes, and my gosh, they're on sale. But if they don't fit, you're not a buyer. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are or how deeply discounted they are. If they don't fit, you're not a buyer. So you, your job as a syndicator is to figure out that perfect fit between the goals for the money and the goals for the project. And if that fit doesn't exist, don't take the money. It's not gonna work. So what does that mean? We call this alignment, and it's things like, what is the size of the investment? There's some investors that we're talking to, their investment minimum is five million. If you're looking for 200 grand, it's not gonna work. What's the term of the investment? How long do they want the money tied up for? Some people wanna put money to work for six months at a time. They want 14% interest. Other people recognize that when their money's on the sideline, they're earning zero. They wanna just put their money in and forget about it for five years. They're different, not right or wrong. That's why they make both chocolate and vanilla ice cream, right? It's just different. What's the liquidity? What's the rate of return? What's the tax consequence? What's the control structure? What's the risk? What's the security? Combine those two together, what's the safety? All of these different things. And if you're dealing with unsophisticated investors, they're gonna have a vague idea of what their investment goals are. Where do you, where do you go? Well, I wanna make money. A very sophisticated investor, on the other hand, is gonna be very clear on exactly what their criteria are. I prefer to work with sophisticated investors experienced investors because then you know, is it gonna fit or not? The worst thing is something that looks like it almost works because it's seductive. And things that almost work don't work. So, how do you get good? Get in the game, surround yourself in the right community, get around other people like are here in the room. There are some amazing experience in the room. There are people sitting in the audience. Go find them, learn from them, and continue to attend events like this, like SEP has, what is this, number 16? It's by coming back and through repetition that you learn how to do this. 
I'm going to give you one thing. If you want to go to my website, victorjm.com, there is a magnetism scorecard. If you want to evaluate how you are doing in terms of attracting money with a particular investor, you can go through this and ask yourself some questions about how am I doing against these five principles. And it'll give you a sense for where you're strong and where you need to maybe have room for improvement. And with that, I will turn it over back to Robert Helms. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Real Estate Espresso Podcast for the weekend edition. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.